pause when the clock has started. Greetings to you, my name is Victoria. Doug couldn't find Graham when it was time to record the show so he asked if I would fill in. I wasn't doing anything else this week so I said sure, why not? So without further ado, welcome to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. <laughs> it's so nice to have backup announcers. <laughs> oh man, that, you can see how the show's going to go already, can't you? Welcome! My name is Doug Prezak. Yes, welcome to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. You're just not going to get them back, so <laughs> I hope it was worth it. This is episode number 97. Only uh, three more to go till we hit the magic number 100. And before I forget, I want to let you know that uh, I'm going to be taking a couple weeks off because, you know, it's summertime, so you got to do summertime stuff. <laughs> Just like I'm sure you've been doing. You've been taking some breaks from me. <laughs> That's okay. It's summertime. The next episode, 98, will be on July the 15th. So uh, enjoy the show now and then enjoy your two weeks off from me. Alrighty, let's start the show the way we usually do with some hellos to cities that have shown up on my download list for the first time. And the first one is to Winchester, England. Now, in case you didn't know, it's a city in the county of Hampshire on the edge of England's South Downs National Park. Did you know that? I didn't. I, I sound all cocky that I do know it. <laughs> no, I don't. I just learned it. Anyway, it's known for the medieval Winchester Cathedral. Come on, you know the song. Winchester Cathedral, you're bringing me down. Now you're all probably humming that. It's going to be in your head forever, isn't it? Uh, yes, that was the uh, the new vaudeville band. Remember them? Well, the Great Hall in Winchester Castle houses the medieval round table that's linked to King Arthur. How's that for a history lesson for you right off the bat, huh? <laughs> Welcome to Winchester. The next one is Old Lyme, Connecticut. Old Lyme is a coastal town in New London County, Connecticut. I had to do some mini research here. Someone in Old Lyme downloaded last week's episode, so I was wondering if there is a new Lyme. <laughs> it just would make sense to me. Well, I found out there is not. However, there is a Lyme, Connecticut, as well as a South Lyme, Connecticut, and a North Lyme, Connecticut. But this greeting is going to only go out to Old Lyme, <laughs> Old Lyme, Connecticut. I don't care about the rest of them. <laughs> and I haven't said hello to San Mateo, California in a while. It's, uh, it's at the end of the San Mateo Bridge that crosses the San Francisco Bay. And I used to live on the other end of the bridge in uh, Hayward, not that uh, anybody really cares. And lastly, I still haven't had any downloads from Iceland. But you know what? Just literally, I'm not kidding, literally just before I started recording this episode, I got a text message from the Director of State and Territory Acquisitions, Catherine, and she says she's still in the case. She's uh, It's a challenge, but she's working on it. So I do look forward to, at some point, getting a download from Iceland. Iceland. <laughs> I appreciate it, Catherine. Thank you very much. Okay, on with episode 97. Now, about 300 episodes ago, <laughs> give or take a couple, I mentioned that I don't like Donald Duck. Now, however, this uh, feathered freak is actually loved by millions of you. <laughs> but at the same time, it's also despised by just as many me included. Now, Donald is not the entire subject of this episode. No, he is just the beginning. So first, let's take a brief look at Donald, if you don't mind. His real name is Donald Fauntleroy Duck, which should be a red flag right there. Right there. How many fans can you really have if your name is Fauntleroy? 
Donald's first theatrical appearance was in a movie called The Wise Little Hen in 1934, but it was his second appearance in Orphan's Benefit that same year that introduced him as a duck with a temper. (laughs) Through the next two decades, he's appeared in over 150 theatrical films. So what is it with this duck? What what is my dislike? Is you know, is it his temperament? Uh, no, I can, I can relate to that. You should see me after ten minutes in Costco. <laughs> I, I look just like Donald Duck. Is it the fact he doesn't wear pants? No, I I say more power to you, Donald Fauntleroy. No, the reason is his voice. W T F. Officially, Donald Duck Talk is formally called Bucal Speech. Technically, it's an Erlangeal form of vocalization that uh, uses the inner cheek to produce a sound rather than the larynx. So if you want to blame anyone for what you just heard, you can point your finger at Clarence Nash from the Disney Empire. Clarence performed Donald's voice from 1934 to 1984. That's 50 years of talking like that. Nash discovered Bukal speech while he was trying to mimic his pet goat, Mary. (laughs) Before Clarence teamed up with Walt Disney, he performed in vaudeville shows where he often spoke in his, quote, nervous baby goat voice. (laughs) Oh, that must have been quite a show. Later, when he auditioned at Walt Disney Productions, Disney heard Nash's voice and he interpreted it as that of a duck. It's at that point when the idea for Donald Duck came about. (laughs) So we have been subjected to that graveled up duck talk for 88 years. (laughs) Oh, and get this. Donald was included in TV Guide's list of the 50 greatest cartoon characters of all time in 2002. Oh, my God. I recently had uh, contact with said duck. And as I stared at him and wondering just where does he leave his pants, it got me wondering about other cartoon characters I just don't like. Now, I'm sure I've already offended a great number of you with my shots at Donald. Uh, I say two things. One, I'm sorry you like Donald. And two, what's what's wrong with you? I know you're probably saying, hey, Duck, what about Daffy Duck? Well, I respond with this. I'm fine with Daffy. One, he embraces full nudity, none of the shirt-only stuff. (laughs) And two, I can understand him. So yeah, there are a few other beloved characters that I have some problems with. (laughs) And that's what I want to talk about. Cartoon characters that I have a problem with, but you may like. I probably should preface this with a blanket statement, okay? I'm old, (laughs) if you haven't noticed over these 97 episodes. So if your favorite cartoon character was created, oh, let's say after 1975, then fret not. I'm not going to be subjecting them to my ridicule. And if your favorite character is on one of those shows on Fox Network, I must again ask, what is wrong with you? (laughs) So I'm just going after a couple of the classics. Now, let's start with this one, The Roadrunner. What a cocky little jerk. (laughs) Wiley Coyote just wants something to eat. I mean, look at him. He's skinnier than a stick. (laughs) Wiley Coyote and the Roadrunner were a staple of the Looney Tunes series of cartoons. They first appeared in 1949 in the theatrical cartoon short Fast and Furious. Oh, clever. 
The characters were created for Warner Brothers by animation director Chuck Jones and writer Michael Maltese. The characters star in a long-running series of theatrical cartoon shorts and an occasional made-for-television cartoon. The Desert Duo were originally meant to parody the Chase cartoon characters like Tom and Jerry, but they actually became popular in their own right. In 2013, TV Guide included Wile E. Coyote in the list of the 60 nastiest villains of all time. What? I say no. I think the hero of those cartoons should be Wiley. I mean, come on. The guy apparently has an unlimited supply of cash since he's always buying stuff from the Acme Corporation. On a side note, I, th- I think the ATF needs to look into the Acme Corporation. If they're freely willing to sell dynamite to a coyote, who knows what else they're selling and to who. <laughs> I digress. Wiley may not be the brightest pup in the pack. You know, he pretty much everybody knows you can't stop a falling anvil with an umbrella, <laughs> but not Wiley. But at least he tries. And what does that arrogant bird do when the coyote's laying there with the anvil on his head? He stares at Wiley and meeps at him. Oh, sure, you long-legged demon of the desert. You can run fast, but don't mock a poor, hungry, socially and technically inept fellow Desertonian. (laughs) To date, 49 cartoons have been made featuring Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner, with the majority of them created by Chuck Jones. In Jones's biography, he says, quote, The success of the Roadrunner shorts was rooted in their adherence to a set of rules, among them, that the audience should retain equal sympathy for both the hapless coyote and his speedy prey, and that Roadrunner would humiliate but never harm the coyote. See, he's a jerk. The next cartoon character I have a problem with comes from a really popular primetime cartoon that premiered on ABC September 30th, 1960. It was the first animated series to hold a primetime slot on television If you guessed the Flintstones, you're right. All right, it's time for a break. And when we come back, I'm going to give you the backstory on the Flintstones. And then I'm going to get to the character that I can live without. (laughs) Aren't you excited? Don't go away. In case you couldn't tell, that was Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny singing the post-cereal commercial. (laughs) All right, let's get back to it. All right, just before the break, I mentioned there was a character on the Flintstones that I think the world could do without. (laughs) But first, the idea of the Flintstones started after Hanna-Barbera's offerings had become labeled as kids only. Joe Barbera and William Hanna wanted to recapture the adult audience with an animated situation comedy. Despite the animation and prehistoric setting, the series was initially aimed at an adult audience, which was reflected in the comedy writing. (laughs) I'm using the word comedy loosely. The scripts resembled the average primetime sitcom of the era, with the usual family issues being resolved with a laugh track. And speaking of milestones, it was the first American animated show to depict two people of the opposite sex, Fred and Wilma and Barney and Betty sleeping together in one bed. Oh, oh my. Ooh, 
Oh, relax. Not all four of them in the same bed. Fred and Wilma in theirs and Barney and Betty in theirs. But you know what happens in Bedrock after dark stays in Bedrock. The first two seasons were co-sponsored by Winston Cigarettes. And uh, Fred and Wilma were often depicted in black and white TV commercials smoking their Winston cigarettes. (laughs) Oh, man. During the third season, Hannah and Barbara decided that Fred and Wilma should have a baby. Now, originally, Hannah and Barbara intended for the Flintstones to have a boy, but the head of the marketing department convinced them to change it to a girl since, quote, girl dolls sell a lot better than boy dolls. Although most Flintstone episodes were standalone storylines, Hannah Barbera created a story arc surrounding the birth of Pebbles, leading right up to Pebbles' birth in the episode titled Dress Rehearsal on February 22, 1963. Around this time, Winston saw the handwriting on the wall and they pulled out their sponsorship and Welch's became the primary sponsor as the show's audience began to shift to a younger age group. Now, another arc occurred in the fourth season. It seems that Barney and Betty were depressed over being unable to have their own children. So what did they do? They adopted Bam Bam on October 3rd, 1963. And there you have it. I didn't like Bam. Bam Bam, period. All that little prehistoric kid with destructive tendencies did was smack things with his club and yell Bam Bam. That's it. No other socially redeeming qualities whatsoever. Useless, I tell you. <laughs> no point to him. But now it's time to uh, flip this batch. You see what I did there? I didn't check the box on the upload that said, does this podcast contain adult language? So I had to change bitch to batch. <laughs> I just did it, damn it. Uh, Please don't report me. To make this episode just a bit more positive, let me talk about some of the cartoon characters I like or liked (laughs) about 60 years ago. First up is one of my favorite lesser known characters who was also constantly suffering the same fate as Wile E. Coyote, and that's Yosemite Sam. Now, Yosemite Sam is a cartoon character in the Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies universes. He is an adversary of Bugs Bunny, and he is commonly depicted as an extremely aggressive gun-slinging outlaw or cowboy with a hair-trigger temper and an intense hatred of rabbits, bugs in particular. Yeah, so? Animator Fritz Freeling had introduced the character in the 1945 cartoon Hair Trigger, and hair is spelled (laughs) H-A-R-E. Funny. Yosemite was originally considered to be named Texas Tiny, Wyoming Willie, or Denver Dan, but the producers finally settled on the name Yosemite Sam. Good call. Freeling created Yosemite Sam to be a more worthy adversary for Bugs Bunny. Until then, Bugs's major foe had been Elmer Fudd, but Elmer was so mild-mannered and good-natured that Freeling thought Bugs actually came off kind of as a bully by duping him all the time. <laughs> yeah, see, Bugs Bunny and the Roadrunner. Sam, on the other hand, was extremely violent and belligerent, not at all a pushover like Fudd. I say, what's not to like about Yosemite Sam? A giant 11-gallon cowboy hat, giant oversized orange mustache, and his tiny little body. He actually had to have a set of portable stairs to get up on his horse. Funny stuff right there. The role of Yosemite Sam was originated by Warner Brothers principal voiceman Mel Blanc. In his autobiography, Blanc said that he had a difficult time coming up with Sam's voice. 
He tried giving him a small voice, but Blank didn't feel that really worked. One day, he decided to simply yell at the top of his voice, which was inspired by a fit of row rage he had had earlier in the day. It fit perfectly with the blustery character, but was also a strain on Blank's throat. Because of that, he always did Yosemite Sam's lines at the end of the recording session so he could rest himself overnight. As Mel got into his 70s, the voice became too rough on his throat and the role of Sam was taken over by future Looney Tunes voice actor Joe Alasky. Alasky voiced Sam in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, while Blank voiced all the other Looney Tune characters in the film. This makes Sam one of the few voices created by Blank to be voiced by someone else during his lifetime. And let's see, the last cartoon character I like, and actually still do to this day, if I ever come across an old Saturday morning cartoons which aren't on anymore, and why say why not? I digress. The character is Marvin the Martian. Again, another misunderstood soul. Marvin the Martian is an extraterrestrial character, again, from the Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies universe. He frequently appeared as a villain wearing a green helmet and skirt. The character was originally voiced by Mel Blanc. Marvin first appeared in the 1948 Bugs Bunny cartoon Hair Devil Hair. Marvin's design was based on the hoplite style of armor usually worn by the Roman god Mars. Creator Chuck Jones said that it was the uniform that Mars wore, that helmet and skirt, and we thought putting this on this ant-like creature might be funny. <laughs> Marvin was never named in the original shorts. He was referred to as, quote, the commander of Flying Saucer X-2. However, in 1979, the character attracted merchandising interest, and the name Marvin was selected for the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie. Marvin is consistently foiled by Bugs Bunny, and he has also battled for space territory with Daffy Duck. Poor Marvin. Marvin's main objective is to destroy the Earth because, as he puts it, It obstructs my view of Venus. <laughs> what a great reason. Marvin speaks with a soft, nasally voice, and he's known for his trademark quote, Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Poor Marvin, just a misunderstood extraterrestrial soul who wants to see Venus. <laughs> so, so there you have it. I like Wiley Coyote. I like Yosemite Sam. And I like Marvin the Martian. I don't like the Roadrunner. I don't like Bam Bam. And I especially don't like Donald Duck. <laughs> I think it's time to wrap this up before I get in too much trouble or have meetings with several lawyers from Disney. <laughs> did we learn much this episode? I don't think we did. Or did we? Perhaps we learned too much. <laughs> we learned that if you want to talk like Donald Duck, use your inner cheek. We learned that Bugs Bunny has always been a bully to Elmer Fudd. And we learned that Winchester Castle houses the medieval round table. <laughs> That's it for this episode number 97, and I will talk to you again in a couple weeks. On 20 Minutes, you'll never get back. Bye-bye. Winchester Cathedral, you're bringing me down. You stood and you watched out, my baby
Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take, take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.